pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny, episode 173. Today, I'm going to chat with Stephen Safiri from Safiri Precision, discuss the ATF's proposed rulemaking change on pistol braces, and highlight a suppressor from Fisher Development. I am your host, Ava Flanell, and Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. It's been a pretty crazy month trying to keep up with all the Black Friday madness and everything. Oh, I can imagine. Black Friday. Actually, even I took advantage of some of your Black Friday sales, which that's how great they were. Being a quote unquote content creator, typically you get a bunch of stuff, but I even actually bought your stuff. That's how much I liked it and how great your prices were. But of course, but before we get into it, I'm going to talk about Smith & Wesson real quick. Guys, if you've been thinking about getting an AR-10, you need to go check out Smith & Wesson's MMP-10s. They have a number of different models to choose from. One of the great things about all of them is that they come with 5R rifled barrels. 5R rifling, if you're not familiar with it, means that they are five grooves in the rifling compared to the traditional six. And again, if you're not sure what that means, I know I didn't know initially when I first got into guns. The tall parts of the rifling are directly opposite of each other in a six groove, and they are not on a 5R barrel. What this means for the shooter is that the bullet will be deformed less in a 5R barrel so that the bullet has a higher ballistics coefficient when it leaves the barrel so it cuts through the air more effectively and accurately. And you can get those in 7.62 NATO or even 6.5 Creedmoor. MSRP in these models range from $1,089 to $2,055. And if you want to check out more of that, head on over to smith-wesson.com. And now it's time to get into it. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Steven, before we get into Safiri Precision, tell us a little bit about your background. I went to school to study mechanical engineering. Okay. And right out of school, I started working in the tool and die industry. I've always been very hands-on, like making things and kind of just started. That's how I learned machining and how to work with metal. Uh-huh. And then what made you branch on over to guns? Well, one day I had a buddy of mine with the Smith & Wesson M&P9, and he asked me if I could do some slide cuts on him. And I had never worked on a handgun before. And I said, I'll give it a try, see what happens. And uh turned out pretty awesome. And that was kind of how it all started. <laughs> nice. What's the worst that could happen? I could just cause a few hundred dollars worth of damage. No yeah. big deal. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. And then how long ago was that? That was probably three and a half years ago. Dang. And then from there, you decided to start your own business? Yeah. So I after I did that first we did, we customized the, I customized the first slide I posted on my personal Instagram and somehow somebody else saw it and they asked me to do theirs. And I did, did another one. And I posted that one on my Instagram and somebody else saw it and did another one, another one. And just started off just mostly doing everything one off custom. I would design it to the, however the customer wanted it. Mm -hmm. And I did blocks, Smith and Wesson's everything. 
And what kind of machining did you need to do all this? So you need a CNC machine. Okay. And you happen to have one? Well, so what I did was I would stay late at my job and use my boss's equipment. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and my boss was cool. He knew what I was doing. Yeah. But I kind of started thinking, I was like, I could probably make this into something because the money was working out and I ended up saving up enough money to buy my own machine. And my boss was super cool about everything. So he actually let me rent a corner of his shop and I worked for him while I was still doing my own thing. Oh, nice. That sounds like a great boss. And those CNC machines, they're not cheap, right? Uh, no, the first one I bought was $50,000. Oh, wow. And that was like for the base model. And I remember when I bought it, I lost sleep over it. I mean, I was that st- stressed out about it because if it didn't work, I mean, I was going to, that's, that was everything I had. Right. No kidding. Man, I can't even imagine. This was just three short years ago. And start off with slides and then tell me how the company progressed. So when we started off, everything we did was on customer send-in slides. So if you wanted your slide cut, you want an RMR cut, or you want a Windows cut on it, you'd send it in to me. We'd customize a Cerakote and send it back. And that's pretty much what everybody else was doing. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of started realizing if you had the lead times are the problem, nobody wants to wait. And other companies, the lead times could be like six months on some of the stuff. And mm-hmm. that's that's a little ridiculous in my opinion. So I found out, you know, we started doing the aftermarket slides. And what I realized if you have the stuff in stock and it's ready to go, you sell a lot more of it. And it's a lot less work on my end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And did you source out a company that provided the slides or did you start making your own? Uh, yeah, we, we worked with another manufacturer to get us going. Okay. And we started off with just 19 Gen 3 because that's the most popular and expanded from there. Nice. And then from slides then, at what point did you start making barrels? Um, not Maybe not too far after we got into that, maybe six months or so after we started doing the aftermarket slides, we started doing the barrels. It's just kind of, it's a natural progression. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Tell me about the different options as far as slide cuts, because they can go on your website and pick out all these different slide cuts. Do you still do custom work or is it at this point, just whatever's on the website is what you have to choose from? We don't really do custom work anymore. Just just the sheer volume of business we're doing. It's just not, it's not efficient, but we do do a lot of private label stuff. So we make slides and barrels and put other people's logos on them. We do that for probably a dozen other companies. Nice. Okay. So cool. if you want to order, you know, a, a, a reasonable volume and say 50 or so slides, we can design them to your specs, put your logo on them. Okay. And brand them as your own. Okay. If I were to go on your website, which I've done obviously before, there's lots of different options. So you guys offer not only Glock slides, but also SIG. Is it the P320 and the P365? Are those yeah. the only two SIG slides that you guys offer? Yeah. Okay. Um, And then on top of that, then they pick out the barrel and you guys offer a bunch of different finishes as well as Cerakote, which that was the hardest thing for me is to try to figure out what color I wanted my slide and then the barrels. Can you just give people just a rough estimate as to how much the slides and barrels range from? The slides start at $299 and that's for the slide of your choice without an optic cut and one color of Cerakote. And then barrels, I think, are $169. Okay. And then it's an $85 upcharge for an optic cut. Nice. Okay. And you guys just kind of mentioned that you had some Black Friday deals. Do you think with everything going on, anybody who's in the gun industry and selling parts at this point, everyone's super busy. And that's why I was surprised to see a sale because right now everybody's just having a hard time even just keeping stock. 
And then here you guys, yeah, you know what? We're going to do it for 50% off. (laughs) And did you kind of kick yourself for doing that? Or was it one of those things where you still just had quite a bit of stock left? We started planning that sale like beginning of this year. So we knew it was coming and we were prepared for it. We sold thousands of slides and we had, for the most part, we had pretty much everything in stock. We're still shipping. We did like 4,000 orders. So we're, we're actually still just now getting to the very end of the Black Friday orders. Wow, that's crazy. But we did sell out of a lot of stuff and we're trying to keep up with production. So we are out of stock on some stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, do you guys offer anything else other than the slides and the barrels? We came out with a muzzle brake for the AR-15 about a month ago. We haven't really promoted that too much, but just kind of a little something I wanted to try out, see how that goes. Because we definitely want to do more. Mm-hmm. And then we also came out with a magwell. And the first one fits the Polymer 80 G19 frame. And then oh, we've nice. got plans to do the P80 G17 and then all the OEM Glock models. Nice. I have to ask, I'm sure you're aware of everything going on with Polymer 80 and ATF apparently raiding their location in Nevada. If ATF does say, okay, even though they obviously have a letter saying that 80% quote unquote frames are legal, if they go back on that, how do you think that this is going to affect your business? It's really hard to say. A lot of our business obviously is selling to people who are building the Polymer 80 build kits. So obviously it'd be bad if they took that away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's probably with a lot of companies. There are still other companies that make similar products, but for the most part, they're also advertised as 80%. I think that people would still make their own guns, even if you yeah. did have to buy the I mean, complete frame as opposed to just you know, 80%. My understanding with the Palm Radio stuff is that they're going after their kit where they sell the whole thing in a case with a magazine ready to go. Mm-hmm. So hopefully as long as, you know, we don't sell any of the Palm Radio frames. So I don't think there's going to be, a, hopefully not a big impact to us, but yeah, we'll see. Which doesn't that sound so stupid? You can literally go on their website, add everything in your cart that you would get oh, yeah. in a kit. But because it's not labeled kit, it's not like it takes that many parts in order to build a handgun. At the end of the day, you just need the slide kit, the frame kit, the trigger, the barrel, the slide, the frame, magazine, and bam, you're done. Yeah, it's just it's so stupid. Don't even get me started on that. Do you guys have any plans to branch off from anything else other than SIG 320 and 365 and Glock stuff? We talk about it all the time. We definitely want to. I guess the big problem right now is just capacity. It's just keep, we, we can sell product faster than we can make it. Yeah. So we got to kind of wait for things to plateau and stabilize before we can continue to do more development and bring out new products. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB Tactical, which before we started the show, you actually said that there's an SB Tactical employee at your location right now, who's a mutual friend of ours. I'm sure that you're familiar with their products, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they make awesome braces. One of my personal favorites is the TF-1913, just because it looks so much like the AK Triangle stock, but obviously it's a brace. Super comfortable as well. One of the really nice things about it is just like the Triangle stock has a very low profile when it's folded. Recently, I was holding a gun with a competitor's brace in the folded position, and the brace was definitely really wide, and it made it very awkward to hold it in the folded position. Then I went back and on one of my AKs, I have the TF-1913 and with it folded, obviously the ergonomics was just perfect. It felt really comfortable. And of course, with the brace unfolded, it's just as comfortable and versatile. 
They also work well with not just AKs, but the CC Scorpion, the Grand Power, the Strybog, and a bunch of others. If you want to check that out, head on over to sb-tactical.com. And if you see anything there that you want, don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY15 and that gets you 15% off. Stephen, where do you think that the future is going with guns? As of right now, I'm actually working on a magazine article as to what future trends we might see. And this is politics aside. This is if the ETF doesn't ruin everything or Biden. And let's say things just kind of stay the same. Do you think that, not to be kind of negative, but there's a million AR-15 parts companies out there and a bunch of companies that make Glock parts. Do you think that people are going to get a little bored with that and start moving on to other guns that you could potentially make parts for? Do you think that maybe people are pretty content with where they are and things are going to stay the same? I mean, we're definitely in a, I guess I'd say a Glock bubble right now. And at some point, it's going to contract, but we're in a good position for that because we do all the manufacturing. So we can change gear. We can switch gears on a moment's notice and start producing the next hot thing. Mm -hmm. So I think we're in a good position for the future, regardless of of where we go. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that this will be something that will continue to be a trend where people are replacing items or building their own guns? Oh, for sure. I think the customization side of it's never going to go away. I mean, you see, even the with ARs, the AR bubble was huge a few years ago, and it's definitely it slowed down, but it's still a massive industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. We'll, pro- we'll probably still see that with the Glock. Glock sells millions of guns. So there's no shortage of them, mm-hmm. and they're they're so easy to work on and easy to customize. It's a really good platform. Yeah, but I'm sure there's always going to be something something new. Yeah. You guys are also one of the few companies that makes the Glock 34 and the Glock 17 long slides, correct? Yes. I think that's actually what I got from you guys was the Glock 17 long slide that I put on my Glock 17 just to make it look a little bit different. The 17L is probably one of my favorite Glock platforms, and it's such a shame they quit making it. Yeah, it's weird that they stopped making it. You guys are working on, this is what I heard, is the P365XL slide. Is there any possibility of making one that has an optic cut, but can keep a set of rear iron sights instead of removing them as part of the plate, like the SIG factory slide and everyone else that has released one so far? Um, Yeah, we've definitely been talking about the 365XL. We have barrels for it, but slides are on our list. I'm not quite sure when we're going to get to them, but hopefully sometime in the next definitely in the next year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no reason why you can't put one of the smaller footprint optics in front of the dovetail. Mm-hmm. You can put the shield, any of the shield RMSCs or the Holosun 407, 507K will all fit in front of the dovetail. Mm-hmm. It just kind of seems like common sense. I'm just surprised that nobody's done it so far. I just think it has to do with just demand and people's manufacturing capacities. I guess everyone's probably just busy and doesn't have time to design and develop a new product like that. Yeah. Well, that's another thing that I talked about recently with a few friends is now with all of the new gun owners and there being such a high demand for just guns, gun parts, ammo, I kind of wonder if there is going to be a lot of innovation or if people are just going to stay with what they know and just try to keep up with the demand for that, as opposed to trying to create anything new and putting it out there in the next couple of years. Yeah, we love, I mean, one thing I would really like to get into is I love the 2011 platform. I think that'd be, that's definitely something that's kind of up and coming, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to get involved with that. The bolt action pistols, that's something else that's new and cool. We definitely want to get in on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people are making chassis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It's kind of weird how certain trends catch on and then everybody jumps on that bandwagon. I'm actually surprised that we haven't seen a lot of stuff for the Smith & Wesson pistols. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why they never took off. That's how I started off with was customizing the the shields and the full-size MMPs. But there's just there was never the aftermarket support there to to make it take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. Do you have any future plans that you can share with listeners? We just applied for our SOT. Mm-hmm. So definitely would like to take advantage of that, maybe start doing some suppressors. Oh, nice. That's something I've done quite a few Form 1 suppressors for myself and have all kinds of ideas and stuff I want to try out. So definitely like to look at that. Like I said, the like to play around with the 2011 platform, maybe the bolt action pistols. I don't know. I mean, the cool thing about having a machine shop is we can literally make anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking back, do you regret buying your first CNC machine? Or I'm assuming that no. you have more than one now. Yeah. Right now we've got 19. Oh my gosh. Wow. We run uh, three shifts, 24 hours a day. That's crazy. That's Saturdays. Wow. And to think it started with one machine. Well, it started with your boss's machine and then. Yeah. It's been a wild ride. That's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. Especially just in three years. Hats off to you. That's awesome. Okay, so you're going to look into working on suppressors and bolt actions, which I think they're all great avenues to go down. If somebody wanted to check out your products, where can they find you online? ZafiriPrecision.com. You can see everything we offer on there. And then also check out our Instagram page, which is Zafiri.Precision. Okay, cool. And then this show comes out right before Christmas. Are you guys planning on doing any Christmas sales? You know, we would love to, but we literally, we're out of stock and so much stuff. We just, we have nothing to sell. We, yeah. We sold so much stuff on Black Friday. Yeah. We're okay. still recovering our inventory. We're, we're going to do something small, but not that nothing like Black Friday. Yeah. Okay. I just figured in case listeners, they wanted to have a little bit of a heads up, but totally understandable. All right. Moving forward. IWI. I've talked about the reliability of the Galil design before. So the Galil Ace and 5.56 just might be the ultimate blend in reliability using the Galil design that takes the most popular rifle caliber, obviously 5.56 and magazines. It accepts standard steel, aluminum and polymer magazines, which I've noticed that a lot of guns that accept AR mags, it's always one or the other, but not all of them work well. Just like the other IWI products, it has ambidextrous safeties and mag releases. It has the last round bolt hold open and the charging handle is on the left for we can charge. One of the other great things about the Galil design that a lot of people don't think about is unlike the AK and the AR, the dust cover on a Galil is spring loaded so that it moves out of the way when the charging handle reciprocates. In other words, you never have to worry about it because it keeps itself closed, keeping extra dirt out of the action. If you guys want to check that out, as well as other great products, head on over to IWI.us. And as always, if you see anything in their accessory section, even if it's just a shirt, patch, magazines, if you use the code GUNFUNNY15, you will get 15% off all of accessories. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. And now it is time for our political AF segment. And today we're switching things up a little bit. You might have noticed that the deconstructing the industry was a little bit shorter than it usually is. And that's because I planned for the political AF segment to be a little bit longer. 
join with me today on a separate day is Sven Johnson from Manicore Arms, as well as Jon Snow to talk about everything that's going on with the ATF. Sven, why don't you fill us in on what's going on if people aren't already aware? I'm Sven from Manicore Arms. We're actually, for those who don't know, we're directly involved in Arm Brace, some of the subcomponent design and manufacturing. And I've been involved actually in a lot of phone meetings and things over the last few days about what's been going on here. And we'll just kind of lay it all out. It may take a little time, but it's important to hear all of it. So Department of Justice put out a letter, actually got leaked about 24 hours early, but on the Federal Register, where they put out information on proposed changes to law, they put out something called Objective Factors for Classifying Weapons with, quote, Stabilizing Braces, unquote. And what this is, is a document that purports in it that it will clarify through holistic means what is allowed with arm braces. So if we go back to 2012, Alex Bosco, before he even formed SB Tactical, the arm brace company, he went to the ATF for classification, said, here's a product I've created. It's meant to help disabled people shoot. Does this qualify as keeping it as a pistol if it's installed on a firearm with a barrel of less than 16 inches or not? And and I'm paraphrasing that a bit, but essentially that is what he did. ATF reviewed it. They had a few concerns about would this be an SBR or not, but their ultimate ruling was no, putting an arm brace on a pistol does not make it an SBR, short-barreled rifle. It's still a pistol. Then you forwarded to 2015, and they ruled that shouldering a brace basically turns it into a short-barreled rifle. Well, that one didn't last very long, or rather, it's a shaky way to do it because how you hold a firearm doesn't change its classification. If you hold a Colt 1911 up to your shoulder, that doesn't make it an illegal SBR. It's still a pistol by definition. And you can get into the back and forth of, well, what's a pistol? What's a rifle? I think it's safe to say that the definitions that were come up with in the 1930s, you know, with NFA and SBRs and all this stuff, they've blurred over the years just because advancement of designs and technology. We've got AR pistols, things like that. So you kind of get into this weird quagmire that to quite a bit of a degree, I believe the ATF has created for themselves. And my take on it is they're trying to, ret- well, not my take. I mean, they pretty much say it in this. They're trying to retroactively redefine what a stabilizing brace is. They claim they're going to use, quote, holistic methods. And that's their wording in this document, such as caliber, weight, the ease of somebody holding it, all these things to define if it actually counts as a pistol or an illegal short-barreled rifle when it's submitted by a company. And that's all the other part of this is this proposal says that from now on, let's say Manicore Arms, which, you know, it's my company, let's say we design a firearm and we decide we're going to make a pistol and put an arm brace on it. doesn't matter if it's SB Tactical, Gearhead Works, any of these things out here. If we don't put an arm brace on it, it's a pistol. No question about that, right? But the moment we put an arm brace on it, we now have to submit it to ATF by this proposed regulation for them to look at what they call all these factors, caliber, weight, length. They're going to have two separate ATF agents use it and then determine, and I'm going to say subjectively determine, if it can be used as a pistol or not. Other factors that go into it are the sights on it. 
all these things that they say will help determine what its intent is. And then we get a ruling back from them saying, yes, it is, or no, it isn't. The problem here is when they say, well, we'll determine by caliber, we'll determine by weight, we'll determine by the sites on it, we'll have two ATF agents review it and actually use it. They don't actually give any qualifications on that. So it's not really a document that says what they're proposing. It's a document saying they're going to propose something. And once this passes, then they can post approval, carte blanche, do whatever they want. And there's not even anything in here to say, let's say two companies submit a nine millimeter AR pistol with an arm brace on it. There's nothing to say that company A and company B, they can have the same product, but there's nothing to say that the ATF, with the way this is currently written, couldn't rule that one is okay and one isn't. And I think beyond the fact of the ex post facto of going back to 2012 and changing their thing to make everything potential illegal SBRs from eight years ago, which they said they weren't, you get into something that's ripe for abuse, bribery, punishment of companies they don't like. I mean, I think Q is an excellent example of they just targeted a company. It's an arm brace. It meets all the current regulations, but they said it's an illegal SBR, but they wouldn't qualify what makes an illegal SBR. So I think to sum up, they're basically looking for an open door to, and they say holistically, I'm going to say they are looking for an open door to subjectively decide what they like and don't like and not have to justify any of it other than to say, well, we'll give you the regulations. We'll know when we see it, which is not how the rule of law works in this country, at least as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. John, do you have anything that you'd like to add to that? Yeah, exactly. What this really constitutes, in my mind, after reading through this letter, seeing all these things that they put out there, Sven mentioned the optic that might be on it or the sights. They mentioned things like length of pull, which they mentioned when all of the stuff came out on the Honey Badger case. All of these things, surface area of the brace, which they incorrectly calculated. They calculated the part of the brace that actually is a void that wraps around your arm as being part of the surface area. And they said that it was bigger than the actual Honey Badger stock, things like that. They're saying all these things and they're measuring what parameters they will disclose incorrectly. They measured the length of pull as being greater than 13.5 inches, which if you actually measure it correctly from where you're supposed to, it wasn't. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt there, but the ATF states that length of pull is, and this is the ATF that states this, length of pull is measured from the face of the trigger in a line parallel to the barrel or the bore, I believe is the word they use, Yep. to the furthest most rear surface on the firearm. So basically, you know, let's say you have an angled butt pad that it it angles back like some of them do where it's a little closer on the bottom edge and it's a little farther back. So it, you know, hugs your shoulder. They're saying to that farthest point back, you should measure. The ATF, when they did that measurement, they didn't measure parallel to the bore. So basically they're breaking their own rules and then saying it's an illegal SBR and letting Q suffer the consequences of that. But Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, John, go ahead. I just wanted to clarify that that's the kind of thing we're dealing with right now. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that. And not a whole lot of people know about it, but they actually lost a court case in 2018 to that exact same effect. There was a case of a guy 
you guys probably saw the pictures of it back when this happened, but the guy didn't even actually have an arm brace on his pistol. I don't remember what kind of pistol it was, but he had this AR pistol. He had an angled foregrip on it. He had a, I think it was a Noveski cheek piece or something like that. It wasn't an actual stock or brace. It was a cheek piece that he had modified and put on there. And it effectively gave him kind of like a brace, but not really. And he had a rubber stop off of a cane on the butt that with that in there, the way they incorrectly measured it came to over 13.5 inches. Well, the measurement that they submitted the picture of to the court, again, they measured it incorrectly. And so the judge threw it out. But one of the other things in there, it also had the low power variable optic on there, which they mentioned in this letter, if it's going to have eye relief that doesn't allow you to use it in the position where you have it wrapped around your arm to use as a true brace, that that signals that it's not intended to be a brace and it's a stock and therefore illegal. All of these things that they say in this letter, there's contradictions everywhere. And really what this constitutes is, in my mind, an attempt to create the most massive mandatory registration of firearms in our history. That's what this really constitutes. They want to get all of these registered. And the way they're going about it, it's not even disguised. It's not thinly veiled. It's blatant in your face. We're going to make you register these or you now have an illegal SBR. And their entire goal is now that they think for certain that they're going to be under a Biden administration, they'll be able to do whatever the heck they want. I think right. we're and going I, to see this pushed up for braces. I think it's going to happen for 80% firearms. I think there's even the speculation. Either the yeah. reverse fine machine. I think you can, and sorry to interrupt, John, but I think you see there's, it's been like in a week here, they're hitting polymer 80. They're going after arm braces. They're going after... Form one suppressors. Form one suppressors. I think in two of those cases, polymer 80 and you know, or or 80% receivers, not just polymer 80, they're just the ones that got rated that we know about and diverse my machine. I think what's going on here, and I don't want to even say it's the devil's advocate point of view, but I think from the ATF point of view, they want to be able to document everything that's made. And they don't like that people have found, I can't even say it's a way around the system. There's a law and they're complying with the law, but the ATF doesn't like it that they're complying with the law in a way that makes the ATF either feel like they're not doing their job or that they're undermining the ATF's mission. I mean, man, I just sound like they don't want somebody back me up. They don't want us to have anything that they don't know about because they want to be able to take it all. And that's their overall goal always has been. And the, I think the other point here, that's not even what's going on with the arm braces. So I was involved and we can get into the economics and kind of some of the things that are going on here, but mm-hmm. I've been involved. My company, we obviously are very closely tied to SB Tactical. We design most, if not all of their mounting blocks, things like that. So from a personal standpoint, my company that I've built from the ground up very much is threatened by this law. I just, I just want to get that out there that I have a very important personal stake in how this is done but that this isn't about even documentation of these weapons. Let's assume for the sake of argument that the ATF, what they say is a technical interpretation of the overall law. 
and that it does hold the rule of law. You can be charged with it. I think it's all safe to say that whether or not we like it, that's the way it works. When the ATF says something, it's law. So you've got companies like me, like SB Tactical, all these other companies, all these manufacturers, resellers, all these customers who have bought this product over the last eight years under the good faith that what the ATF said in 2012, i.e. pistol braces are legal, they don't create an SBR by putting it on the gun. If you go on that assumption, we've all made business decisions based on that. We've all developed products. People have put R&D into it. People have made purchase orders and sold to this. And what the ATF is now doing is they're saying, oh yeah, changed our mind. It's now an illegal SBR. And in this document, they say, oh, but we'll give a grace period. You can register it for free. They don't even state which ones are legal or illegal because they haven't put out the caliber, all these other qualifications. But you know what? We're just going to let you have an NFA item with no tax. Sounds great if you've got one of these, except if you're in states like Illinois or New Jersey or any of these states where you can't register an SBR. The question I have, and it's a rhetorical question, why? Can somebody name a crime that an arm brace has been used in? They actually mentioned this. There's on, only one I know of. Yeah, there's. I think there's a single one. And uh, give me just a second here. I wanted to look up something. They state on page six of this document they've put of, the purpose of the NFA is, quote, to regulate certain weapons likely to be used for criminal purposes. One case in eight years that we can come up with where somebody had an arm brace. Did that weapon not work without an arm brace on it? No, could have taken it off and it's still a pistol. It's still documented. And I think that's the point I want to make. This isn't even about documentation. It's not like an 80% receiver or a Form 1 silencer where, yes, you could get it. Theoretically, they don't know about it. Or if you don't put in the Form 1 paperwork, now you've got a silencer that's not documented. These four to six million guns that are pistols are already in the system. They've already got tracking on them. They've already got serial numbers. The ATF can trace it if it's in a crime, which reportedly is the reason that we have the ATF, right? So you can trace something used in a crime, figure out how it got into that system, who bought it, who broke the law. All this does is take four to six million people who obviously aren't felons because they were able to purchase a firearm legally and turns them into instant potential felons for what gain? Mm -hmm. For documentation that doesn't matter because the guns are already registered? Okay, so they let's say your choice is you NFA register it or you pull the arm brace off. You pull the arm brace off, you still got the gun. What's the point of this? Where's the weapons likely to be used for criminal purposes? You can't point out but one case in eight years. More ATF. I was doing some research on this yesterday, trying to find any case on where arm braces were used in a crime. And I'm not saying that somebody illegally owned a firearm that had an arm brace on it. If you're a felon and you can't own a firearm, doesn't matter if you have an arm brace on it or not, you've broken the law. I'm saying actually somebody used a weapon with an arm brace on it and committed a crime or robbery or murder or something like that. And just out of curiosity, I typed in ATF agents charged with a felony or who went to jail for a felony. More ATF agents have gone to jail for felonies in the last eight years than people have committed crimes with arm braces. Now, you're not going to make that argument to the ATF, but my point being, if you're going to say, well, that one crime says, well, we should 
make these a whole class of weapon that's required to be registered under the NFA, doesn't that mean we should abolish the ATF because they obviously breed felons? It's that kind of logic or lack thereof that is really what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no purpose in what's being done here. And more to the point, it's an open-ended document for them to determine whatever they want, whenever they want. And you know what's going to happen is with this kind of open-endedness, maybe they'll say, maybe the breaking line here is rifle caliber or 308 and up. Let's say they say 308 and up isn't okay, but 223 and below, that's okay. Well, why can't they move the goalposts? They just did it now. They're trying to do it now. And now they say, well, anything that's 223 is now an SBR, but you know, we'll let you register it for free. And then in five years, they say, well, anything 10 millimeter or 45 ACP and above is. And then next thing you know, everything's regulated this way. And for what purpose? What are they actually accomplishing here? Mm -hmm. The other problem too, is we get into this, they made a decision in 2012. And I know people say, okay, it's been bandied around. This is the one that really irritates me. Supposedly, you can't have a length of pole over 13.5 inches. And that guy was charged with that, actually, you know, that we mentioned earlier. Find a place where it's written anywhere in public. Find a place in private where it's written down. After talking to SB Tactical, they've tried to get that in writing. And the ATF refuses to put it in writing. I know a lot of, actually, SB Tactical's taken a lot of heat over the last few days. People saying when this document came out, oh, you knew about it. You were just selling this product to make money. And that's not the case. SB Tactical only got this 24 hours through a leak before the general public saw it. And SB Tactical was submitting all of their products for review by the ATF. And the ATF actually came back four years ago and said, these are all just variations on the same product. You don't need to submit these anymore. So when the letter came out, for those who aren't aware, the ATF made a big claim that SB Tactical was mismarketing their product, claiming it was a way around having a stock, which if you look at their marketing material, nothing says that. And then also claimed that they had illegally sold these braces without approval. Well, the ATF said it was okay for them to do that. The ATF didn't want any more of them to review. And then the ATF once again turns around and changes their mind. And they won't write anything down because they don't want it to bite them in the ass later when it gets shown that. Oh, yeah, we said one thing, then the other, but we're the ultimate arbiter and we don't have any repercussions for what we do. So, sorry, that's their take on it. Mm-hmm. As you can yeah, tell, I'm very angry and passionate about Oh, it. I know. The whole thing is just total BS. To sum it up nicely. <laughs> it's, yeah. I think, Complete the problem BS. here, and I know a lot of people are angry about this, and sometimes it's hard to quantify what it is that makes you angry. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this last few days. You know, I've been up late doing a lot of research on this and just kind of thinking. I think what makes us angry is going back to the first thing I said, everybody operates in good faith, right? The government says something's legal or not legal, and we have to take it at face value because there's no recourse otherwise. We do have the court system. We have some things like this. But the problem is the ATF, they seem to be antagonistic towards our industry. With this arm brace thing, the best thing I could say, it'd be like if your local county highway department posts a sign that says speed limit, 65 miles an hour on a road. And eventually, a couple of years in, they set up a camera just to monitor it. And then eight years later, they come back and lower the speed limit to 45 and say, oh, yeah, you know what? The speed limit's actually 45, but that's retroactive. 
So now everybody who drove over 45 miles an hour in the last eight years and we caught you on camera, you've all committed reckless driving and potentially go to jail. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what we have here. How can you trust the government or the rule of law when they can simply change the laws retroactively and punish you for it? That's not democracy. That's not liberty and having secret rules like unwritten rules of length of poll and things like this. The comments I heard in some of these meetings yesterday was all of us as business people in this industry, we manufactured these products in good faith that that was the law. That was the ruling. And how can you trust anything? How can you make business decisions? How can you spend money? And how can you service your customer if you offer a product and then get told it's now it's illegal and you've sold an illegal product? What happens to the customer who's in a state that can't SBR that? What happens to the FFL who has a hundred of these arm brace pistols in inventory and they don't have an SOT? They can't own SBRs. It's ex post facto. You can't change the law retroactively and punish people for it. That's my biggest take on this. Yeah. yeah. And they have no authority to actually be changing law. They're an enforcement branch. Laws are supposed to be written by Congress, not them. They're supposed to interpret the law as technical experts. And I think we can all laugh that because seeing the, quote, technical expertise of the ATF is, it's either a bad joke or it's an active attack on the industry routinely. It'd be like the alcohol enforcement branch being staffed by teetotalers. It's the only government branch I can think of that actively tries to tear apart its industry that it regulates. For what purpose? Okay, so I'm going to change it up a little bit. As a consumer, because I know there's a lot of consumers that are now hesitant to buy anything that has a brace on it, or they're wondering what they should do. As we mentioned before, ATF is waiving the tax stamp fee so that you can SBR your gun. But what would you recommend that consumers do or how could you clear the air on some questions that they might have? Okay. Well, I'd say two things here. First, this document that was put out, and I don't know if we'll find this. We'll probably all laugh at this. On one of the last pages, page 13, it actually says, and I know, John, you know exactly what I'm going to say here. The contents of this document do not have the force of effective law and are not meant to bind the public in any way. So what the Mm -hmm. ATF is actually claiming here is this is not a new law. This is just an adjustment to a current law so they can get around the executive order that you can't do these kind of things. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I forget the exact executive order, but uh, Trump actually passed it recently or wrote it recently. Last, last January, yeah. Last January, because because of this very kind of thing. Yeah. So they're trying to end run. First thing is this hasn't passed yet. This hasn't been approved. The big part of this is it's currently in a 14-day period publicly posted so people can comment. Normally, you get 60 days. How they managed to get only 14, don't know, but that's where we're at. So you do have the right as the public to comment on this. Ava, I think I forwarded the link, the direct link to this document, and I don't know if you can post it. for. I've got it already in the show notes. Okay, John's on it. Awesome. So there's a link. It's really easy. You click on it, and then when you go to that page, there'll be over on the left-hand side, there'll be a couple of buttons, and one of them is you can publicly comment. You can click on that. You put the docket number in there, which it's on the document, but let's see here. It's ATF 2020R-10. That's the docket number. So that's just basically your subject line. And then you can put in some of the stuff we've talked about. 
basically they want to hear your opinions on this. Is this okay? Is this not okay? My take, and obviously I'll let you guys speak uh, eventually here since I apparently tried to commandeer the soapbox today, (laughs) (laughs) but I would comment the ex post facto thing. You can't retroactively create law that punishes people that four to 6 million people bought this and it was totally legal. No crimes have really been committed with it. So what benefit is there to making this an SBR? Who benefits? Does There's no public safety issue here. So what's up with that? The other parts would be that it's an overreach of power to suddenly be able to change these things. John and Ava, if you've got some more comments here, I'm sure there's more to it. I just can't think of anything at the moment. Yeah, all of those plus... It's just an obvious attempt to mandate registration without passing any actual new laws as the legislative process requires. It's purely political. One of the things I think that they're really trying to do with this and timing wise and why the 14 days and all of that, they're trying to lay blame for all of this firmly on Trump. And right now they're trying to keep the Senate runoff races in Georgia from flipping because if those flip Democrat, then Biden's going to be able to push through actual new laws very easily and right. mandate confiscation this is, of this new list that they have now added. Right. For those think, okay, let's just get out of the way. Whether or not you wanted Trump to win, whether or not you think he got the election stolen from him, as far as the system's concerned, Biden is president-elect. The Electoral College did it. Trump's not going to win the court cases. Sorry, folks. I agree with you. It sucks for the gun industry. It sucks for our freedoms. A lot of these things, whether you you love him or hate him as a person or his policies, Biden or Trump, that's the reality of what we're living in right now. You can be angry at Trump all you want that he's not doing anything about it. The guy's heading out of office and wrapping up a lot of other things. Will something happen here? Uh, There's definitely some stuff behind the scenes happening with political officials. They're very aware of what's going on here. There's a lot of concern. For those who didn't know, a few weeks ago, at least 16, I believe, senators and congressmen sent a letter to the ATF, and the two things they asked them were to disclose all of the documents that have been provided to the public on arm brace rulings and all of the internal discussions in the ATF that were documented about arm braces. This is basically a call out to say you're creating secret law. And I think that's the other thing that bothers me as an industry person here and should bother you if you're listening to this. They're creating secret laws. This isn't East Germany. This isn't Russia. This is not how it's supposed to work. We're all supposed to be on the same playing field, all understand the consequences of our actions, what we're allowed, what we're not allowed to do. And that's not what this is. I mean, that's the real issue here. And that's another great point to make, that and the fact that this document here says, well, it clarifies everything. It doesn't clarify anything. They named a couple of categories that they will decide, but they're not actually giving any guidance. Yeah, it creates far more questions. Exactly. And SB Tactical, you know, we've been in contact with them. And they said when the arm brace was created, they would have been fine then or any time along the way with some kind of guidance. They've been asking for it for eight years because the ATF obviously isn't comfortable with what's going on. I don't agree. They made a ruling. Hey, sorry, guys, you made a ruling and that's what it is. It's not our fault if you think it should have been something else. Once you put it in public, that's the public record and that's the way it is. And whether or not you like it, we don't have to like it either, but that's what it is. So we all know what the rules are. 
This is just giving them open season to make it sound like they're actually giving guidance, but there's no guidance in here. doesn't tell you a length of pull. It says we're going to determine all this stuff. How? When? So all they're looking for here is approval so that they can say, well, we're going to do all this, and then they'll just create a spaghetti mess of rules. The other question is, let's say you're a customer and SB Technical or Gearhead or whoever's still in business, they're selling arm braces separately. Now, how do you as an individual determine if what you're putting together is legal or not? Mm-hmm. You go to you put it on the gun. It. You have to submit your own gun, you know? With or, or, every accessory that you have attached to it. and every Right, because if it's a holistic approach do. now, does it matter, you know, just throw some names out there. Does it matter if you have an Aimpoint Micro versus an Aimpoint Pro? Does it matter if you have Magpul sights on it? Does it matter if you have no sights on it? A laser? Does it matter what kind of pistol grip you have on it? We don't know because none of this has been specified. The other problem there is when they start saying it depends on the accessories, how would you like to be the optics company that gets a ruling against you? Because now nobody can put your optic on their pistol. And for what purpose? We look, optics are very common on pistols right now. RMRs are common. Aimpoint micro is not so much. How would you like to be Aimpoint and find out, well, if you put an Aimpoint micro, we're judging that you can't see as well, or you can get these rulings where a competition shooter puts a Trigicon RMR on his pistol, on his CZ-75, but you go to put it on your arm-braced pistol, AR, and that's not okay, even though they're both pistols. This is the kind of Pandora's box that's here right now. There's no way to know what's legal. And yeah, as John said, any configuration becomes unique now. So yeah, there's millions of braces out there and every single one of them is configured differently. And every time somebody adds a new accessory, it would then have to be submitted for a review. The whole thing is, it's just un-American. This is not how laws are supposed to be created. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, definitely. We wanna, well, guys. Maybe you want to circle us back to what we can do <laughs> since uh-huh. we got off track there a little? Yeah. On that note, we mentioned there is the link in the show notes. And I would say that's probably your best bet and contact all your representatives and tell them that this is not okay. And unfortunately, we're limited to 14 days. Even it, when does this start? It started, it started on, on the 18th. Yeah, okay. So, okay, so now. So we've got 12 days left. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then, recording. exactly. We're actually limited to even less than 14 days. Definitely get active. And I feel like if anything, the more noise that we make, post this on social media, have these conversations, contact representatives, and hopefully this will put a stop to a lot of the stuff that's happening. Because I think that ATF and Biden and all them, I think that we're just, and they're not wrong, but I think that a lot of us have just gotten really complacent and we're not as active as we should be. Well, and this is testing the waters. Don't think it's going to stop with arm braces. Bump exactly. stocks were first, yeah. now arm braces. It'll so go into everything. Next. You know, next thing, it could be pistols without arm braces that are AR-15s become SBRs. You know, mm-hmm. There's nothing to stop it because this is the way it works. This comment period's all you got to really do that. You, know, you can email the White House, email your senators, but the most direct way to do it is comment on this link. It takes a minute. Don't use profanity. Be professional about it, all that. But please say something. Just say, you know, why should I be a felon if you've got one of these? Why should I be a potential felon? What did I do? Make sure people understand the impact of this. And for those who are thinking, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to read my comment. The ATF's just going to brush it under the rug. It's not true. Yeah. Some of you may remember in 2015, the ATF went to rule that M855 ammunition green tip was armor piercing. 
They had to post the same thing to give that window to comment. And they were flooded with people who commented and they backed off. I think right now what we're looking at is they're dipping their toe in the pool to see how far can we go. And if there's a huge backlash, it not only helps here, it helps for the future. It shows that they can't brush us under the rug or give us a 14-day window to comment instead of 60. It's not going to make a difference if we make enough comments, if we make enough noise, if you get it out there. And please share this with other people, because I think our biggest problem right now is so few people know about this. It's, exactly. you know, it's near the holiday season. Everything mm-hmm. going on this year, it's not on the front and center of your mind. Exactly. But. That's actually exactly right. I just taught a class this morning and I was talking about it with my students and only one person out of 10 students knew about it. Wow. Yeah. That timing, they're counting on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. This Sven is intentional. Said, yeah. yeah. Like Sven said, keep it polite because this is a matter of public record. Do not be making any threats or anything like that in this. This is not the time for anything like that. Professional, but object to what they are doing. Yep. All right, guys, I really appreciate it. And on that note, I'm going to get back to the show. Manicore Arms. If you've got a CZ Bren 2, there's a couple of new products at Manicore Arms that you should check out. Both are new mounting blocks to give you ideal options to install either stocks or braces, depending on if you have a rifle or a pistol. One model features a standard 1913 rail to attach easily to any 1913 brace or stock. The other is designed to be directly compatible with the standard side folding braces from SB Tactical. They're super simple to install. They don't need any tools. Both of them are available on the website for $104.95, but obviously you're not going to pay full price because you'll use the code GUNFUNNY15 and that will get you 15% off. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's question. As a new gun owner, I have only been able to find a very small amount of ammo with the current shortage, and I'm afraid to use it to practice because I may not be able to get more. Any tips for finding ammo? Yeah, right now I feel really bad, especially because I'm also a firearms instructor and Even this weekend, I have to teach a basic pistol class. I sent out an email yesterday to to all the students that are attending. Hey, guys, heads up. If you don't have a gun, you can rent one at the range, but there's no guarantee if there's going to be ammo or not, which puts even me in a bind. But I've noticed that a lot of people have lucked out. Sporting goods stores, they're still getting inventory in. Ammo companies are still making ammo. They're still shipping it. It's just that with the demand, the minute they hit the shelves, they're selling out. But I would say it definitely takes some perseverance if you just continue to go to the gun stores regularly because they are putting it on shelves. I would even maybe get to know the person behind the counter, ask them when typically their shipments come in. Most of them have some sort of schedule. Okay, we know that shipments come in every Tuesdays and Fridays or something. And it may not be right in the morning when the store opens. I would maybe talk to some of the employees and feel that out. I do know that also a lot of stores, they've limited how much you can buy. So if one person gets there, it's not like they can buy it all up. A lot of stores have limited to about 100 round purchases. But I would say just keep popping into those stores. Otherwise, you can still look online. And in most states, you can have ammo shipped directly to your door. Obviously, if you live in California or something, you're going to have to go to a gun store. But 
most states will allow you to have ammo purchases shipped directly to your door. I don't know, Stephen, do you have anything that you want to add to that? Any uh, advice? I guess don't overpay. I guess that's just kind of the sad thing right now is people are taking advantage of the shortage. And I've seen nine millimeter for like a dollar around, which is I know. insane. Is I know. Doesn't it almost make you want to sell some of your supply though? Because you're like, well, oh, let's trust see. Me, I, I thought about it because I, I guess I got lucky and I stockpiled before everything went down when nine millimeter is still 15 cents around. So yeah. I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I've had people that offer to buy it off me, but I'd, I'd rather just sit on it and yeah. if I need it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because all these people are like, oh my gosh, why do you need that much ammo? Or why do you need that many guns? Well, now we're the idiots, right? Even gun prices. I've never seen gun prices so high. Like, I've told so many people, if you don't need a gun, if you already have guns and you're just wanting to buy a gun just because I really like that gun and I want it, I would just wait even maybe six months from now. I just can't imagine it getting this much worse. Hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully I didn't just put my foot in my mouth. But yeah, if you already have ammo and guns and you don't need it, I wouldn't go out and purchase it for these prices. But if you don't have any, then obviously supply and demand and you're pretty much willing to pay whatever it costs. But that's what I would recommend. And then in order to practice, and there's lots of different options out there. If you guys want to check out my Instagram, I posted a link for Strikeman. It's a setup where you could do dry fire drills. There's the Mantis X and there's all kinds of stuff where you can do dry fire drills where you don't necessarily have to shoot your ammo. That's really the best advice I can give you. I wish I could be like, oh, yeah, there's this hidden alternative, but there isn't. Okay, Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. I ran across an interesting looking suppressor on Instagram recently, and I had to look it up for details. There's not a lot of details about this. The suppressor is made by Fisher Development in Austria for Glock pistols, but it can also fit the HKSF P9, which is the European version for the VP9. What makes this suppressor interesting is that it attaches with just one click to the rail of the pistol. The pistol does not have to have a threaded barrel. The suppressor looks like a longer version of the Maxim 9 but it goes on in just one click. So again, no threaded barrel needed. Since the barrel is not threaded, you would expect that it can't be as efficient as a normal suppressor, but in the test videos, it still sounds remarkably effective for not being threaded. What little sound measurement I could find on it showed that with the subsonic ammo, it would still be around 144 decibels, which definitely isn't as good as a normal suppressor, which would be around 130 decibels, but it's obviously a substantial change from the typical 168 decibels that you would hear without any suppressor. They claim that it doesn't affect accuracy and it doesn't affect point of aim. Overall, it's 13.4 ounces and 6.5 inches long. And other than that, like I said, there's not a lot more data I would really like to get my hands on one, unfortunately, due to the restrictions on importing NFA items and the suppressor being made in Austria. We're probably not going to be seeing this in the U.S. anytime soon, but it definitely looks interesting and kind of an interesting concept. And I wonder if other companies in the U.S. are going to maybe check out the design and jump on board. Stephen, this might be your big chance to shine. I just pulled up their website. It's definitely interesting looking, but why not just get a threaded barrel and run a regular suppressor? 
I know. I know. Well, I don't know. And I think people are just sometimes I think innovation's great and we don't see a ton of innovation in the gun industry. But every now and then you look at something, you're like, yeah, I appreciate the innovation. But if a wheel works, why try to recreate the wheel? Yeah, it's definitely cool. Yeah, I don't know. And now it's time to wrap up. So iTunes reviews. If you guys haven't left a review, please do so. First review is Maximus33. Keep it up. Five stars. Like many of your listeners, I discovered you from your chat with Colin Noir. Since then, I look forward to your weekly podcast. I currently and temporarily live in Portland, Oregon. And as you can see in the media, I'm surrounded by morons. <laughs> Listening to your show reminds me that there are like-minded people out there with common sense fighting for our constitutional rights. You have a great conversation with guests that have a variety of backgrounds, and I always learn something new. Keep up the great work of being a positive ambassador supporting the 2A community. Second review is one underscore white underscore ton. Great show, five stars. Always enjoy listening to the podcast. Very informative. And yes, I'm one of the listeners stuck in California. Man, I feel bad for both because you guys are both stuck in stupid states. But um, Stephen, out of those number one or number two, can you pick one of the reviewers to win a prize pack? Let's go with Maximus 33. All right. Maximus, contact me and I will send out a prize pack. And on that note, guys, it's time to wrap up. So you can find me at gunfunny.com. Make sure you check out social media links. I'm on Instagram, Ava Flannell underscore or Gunfunny Podcast, as well as Facebook. If you want to support the show and you enjoy it, you should consider becoming a patron. You can even make a one-time donation if you don't want to donate every month. You can do that at gunfunny.com. Just click on the support the show link and lots of different great prizes depending on your level of pledge. Also wanted to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Star Wars 77, Ralph Anthony, Dylan Savage, and Melissa Ridings. King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that some people sleep with a gun under their pillow. Operator Tickle's pillow is a gun. <laughs> And Stephen, thank you again so much for joining me today. Can you just remind listeners once again where they can find you guys online? Zafiriprecision.com and on Instagram at zafiri.precision. All right. And just to confirm that is Z-A-F-F-I-R-I. And on that note, we are out of here. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.